my name is Gareth Thomas. Uh, this is the FICM Learning Podcast, and I'm really delighted today to be joined by Dr. Liz Thomas, who I will just let introduce herself to you. Thanks for inviting me, Gareth. Um, so I'm Dr. Liz Thomas, um, no relation to Gareth. I'm a consultant in anaesthesia and intensive care medicine in Stockport, which is um, in the south of Greater Manchester. Um, I've got a few other roles. I'm um, the chair of the Women in Intensive Care subcommittee, which is one of the subcommittees of the Faculty of Intensive Care. And I've recently um, been elected to the faculty board. And congratulations on your, um, on your recent election as well, Liz. It, specifically, it's your role within the Women in Intensive Care subgroup, which is why, uh, subcommittee, sorry, which is why we're, we're talking today. I think the easiest place to start with, especially for those who both are and aren't familiar with it, is would you mind talking us through what the subcommittee does and on the work and its role within, within the faculty and wider? I'd love to do that. So approximately five years ago, the Women in Intensive Care subcommittee was formed. Um, it was noticed by some of the faculty board that we were having very small numbers of female consultants in intensive care. So at the time, we only had 21% um, female consultants in intensive care in the country, whereas entrance to med school is running around 50, between 50 and 52% of females. And it was felt that a working party to promote intensive care to women would be a beneficial thing. Um, so the Wickham was formed. We've moved on and we are made up of women working in intensive care, but we do like to promote intensive care as a career for all um, because we realise we're a very broad church and it's made better by having a wide range of people. So the Wickham Committee um, meets four times a year, generally three times um, by the power of video meetings and once face to face a year when we can. Uh, we have 10 consultant members and two trainee members. Everybody who's on Wickham has got a role and we've got a lot of outputs. And when I report to the faculty committee that's above us, um, I'm always very proud of the Women in Intensive Care Committee for the amount of work streams we've got going. Um, one of our first work streams and ongoing is the social media aspect. So because we believe in um, intensive care for a career for all, we like promoting people and building people up. So we have regular blog posts. Some are work related, some are not work related, and generally talking about why we love intensive care and um, what we can bring to it and hopefully to inspire others. We also have a regular Twitter feed and occasionally we get um, somebody to tweet their week. So a series of tweets with photos just to show what a week in an intensive care doctor's life can be like. And it can be all sorts of things. So my children featured in tweet my week because I had a non-working day and we went to the park together. Um, another work stream is we have an annual meeting and this is called Strike the Balance. Our last annual meeting was virtual and ran in November, but we had excellent feedback. Um, the Strike the Balance meeting is an educational meeting with CPD points, but we try to make it relevant to all and talk about the things in intensive care medicine that aren't always spoken about. For example, at our first meeting, we had someone talking about imposter syndrome or being an ICU consultant as an introvert, because there are so many of us extroverts out there. Um, and our next meeting is planned for November. We have also got a work screen called WICAMEL, which is the Women in Intensive Care Medicine Emerging Leadership Programme. And this is running for the second time. So we have four fellows and they get mentored by one of the faculty board and undertake a open university module and we nurture them as leaders. Um, so the second cohort have just started their 
the year and we're planning to do this in future. Um, another work stream is we've just launched the faculty mentoring program Thrive. So the GMC is very strong on mentoring and feels that every doctor should have a mentor, particularly at times of change and new roles. And as a committee, we felt as a trainee, you've got educational supervisors and clinical supervisors and things. But when you become a consultant, suddenly you're almost set off on your own. So we've set Thrive out to open up um, mentoring to consultants in the first five years of their job. Um, and that's going really well at the moment. And once we've established in that group, we're going to hopefully extend it to anybody working in ICU. Um, and then the final work stream is the trainee members are starting looking at medical schools and what interaction medical students have with intensive care. Because we've realised if we want to promote intensive care as a career for all, then people need to know about it and be exposed to it. I really hadn't realised that, that Wickham did quite that much. I knew you were very active, but I didn't know that it was quite that it was quite that much. That's an extraordinary amount of work for for just for just 12 people. It's, it's very impressive. I'm really proud of the Wickham Committee. Um, I took over as chair a year and a half ago from uh, Rosie Brewer, who is a Edinburgh intensivist and anaesthetist. And I remember sitting at my first meeting, not quite knowing what to expect. We were at the faculty for that meeting. And Rosie said the line very clearly, this is a working party. Everybody here has got a job and there's no point. I, I might be paraphrasing a bit. Um, and I was really inspired by that because I, I did think that, no, this is the way things should be. If we're going to have people involved, then we need to have a good reason why they're here. And people generally do better at tasks if they believe in them and if they want to do them. One thing I'd just like to ask you about, if, you, if you're able to answer, you said that five years ago when Wickham was established that 21% of ICU consultants at that point in time were, were female. I guess you may not have the numbers to your fingertips. Has that has that increased over that over that time period? At the moment, we don't have the numbers. So the census is being sent out to clinical leads very soon uh, via the Careers Recruitment and Workforce Committee, and this year the census is going to start collecting equality and diversity data. Um, what we've established over the past few years is we don't really have much data on our members. Mm. Um, as part of my role as faculty board, I'm the faculty representative at the Royal College of Anaesthetists Equality and Diversity Panel and Committee. And we want to, you know, break down the barriers, sort out differential attainment and, you know, make the world uh, equal and fair place for everybody. Um, but of course, the first starting point is getting data. So until a couple of years ago, it wasn't collected. Whereas now um, the college, the faculty of pain, the faculty of ICM, are trying very hard to get data so there's a approved form and if you register for a, for a faculty event it will ask you to fill the form in we've actually now got the demographics of the faculty board which is obviously easy to see but now 50 percent of the faculty board are females which was brilliant um, at the last election there were three females elected into three posts so so yes i don't think the data going back to the original question the question how what percentage of consultants are female I don't know, but hopefully once the latest census is in, we'll have more of an idea. And we do know trainee numbers, and I believe that the trainee numbers are slightly higher. From what you've seen in your own experience, do you think that the number of, of women coming into intensive care is, is slowly increasing? 
Yes, I think so. Going to regional meetings, talking to our trainees, that I, I do think that there are more women entering intensive care medicine. Um, but also, there's, there's bigger pictures we need to look at. We need to look at longevity of careers and how do the consultants that we have manage you know, different priorities, hobbies, families, caring for elderly relatives. A lot of people have got different caring roles. So I think part of the data we're collecting, one of the questions is, do you have a caring role? Mm. Because a large part of um, being an adult can be looking after an elderly relative, which is, you know, also um, a stretch on your time. We often think about that caring role as an adult as probably extending to children, but I suppose it's just forgotten a little bit that sometimes it extends to other adults. What do you think the barriers to women both entering intensive care as a specialty and then making it to to consultant are? That's the million dollar question, I think. And I think if I knew the answer to that, I could just go to the faculty and the GMC and the medical schools <laughs> and say, here's your solution. Um, I think us talking about it and highlighting it is the first step. So I'm hoping that we're going to do a um, working party with some medical students as well to find out what resources they'd like and have they thought of ICU. But also things like changing the focus of things. I spoke at the first Strike the Balance meeting. Um, I ended up being CD of my unit, so clinical director of my unit, when I was quite young. My hospital underwent a change in management and they changed divisions and things and intensive care, instead of having a clinical lead, was going to have a clinical director. So the medical director emailed all the consultants in the hospital and said, you know, this is a change of management, this is what's going to happen. And then people started tapping me on the shoulder saying, why don't you apply to be CD of ICU? And I hadn't have thought of this at all. When four or five senior consultants approached me and said, you should consider this, I spoke to my husband about it and I said, shall I go for this job that I think is going to be rubbish and really hard work? or not. I'm like, I'm the part-time one in the department. I'm the one with the 18 month old baby. You know, why do I want to take on a really stressful job? And my husband said, well, you know, go for it. And if you don't like it, you can stop. So I went into, so I applied for CD, got interviewed against some colleagues, and then I got the role. And I went into it thinking, if, if it doesn't suit me or if it upsets my life, I'll just, you know, resign and go back to being a normal consultant. And I did CD for four years. And then I felt that four years was a good term and I finished. The reason I'm telling you this is I spoke at the first strike the balance meeting because I spoke about accidental leadership because I really hadn't expected to find myself in a leadership position ever and to be a young female leading a department was quite interesting and one of my first tasks as ICU CD was to buy some new ventilators and I did not care what the ventilator was and I happened to say this in my talk and suddenly the room relaxed and I I felt that I was a fraud because I don't care whether it's a Draeger or a Serviet, you know, all the whatever. It, they all do the same thing. But the persona of intensive care is almost macho people with their toys going, oh, I want the best ventilator and I want the finest ventilation modes. And it was just really interesting. So, yeah, I think we just need to talk that being different is OK. Do you think the nature of intensive care almost, because I often describe intensive care to people as almost being like the postgraduate specialty of medicine. If you can only enter it from ST3 to I think ST5 is the last year that you can enter it. Do you think that in itself becomes, becomes a barrier to diversity? 
Yes, potentially. I think something that's been great for diversity is the fact that the physicians have changed their training scheme. So now everybody doing core medical training has to do three months on intensive care. And this has brought amazing diversity and wonderfulness to my unit. Having, I love having the medical trainees. I love talking to them about things. I Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but I do agree that we want to expose people to intensive care more because it's quite a scary place. You know, don't touch this, patients dying, machines going beep, alarms everywhere. And that's part of the reason we want to do our medical student project and get some resources out to the medical schools because there's a, thousands of medical schools in the country and the capacity for getting every single one through an intensive care with the rest of their curriculum and everything isn't that great but if we could get some either videos or interactive resources or things and get the word out there sooner then hopefully more people want foundation jobs in ICUs and more people want to get in an ICU sooner. Another barrier to some people working in intensive care and I think the emergency medicine physicians have seen it is the antisocial hours and people have said to me why do you do intensive care when you're going to be working weekends and you're going to be working nights and you know all oh, that's too intensive I don't want a job that does that um, whereas I think intensive care is ahead of the curve because my roads are structured so much so that I get rest and appropriate time off post duty whereas other specialties um, for example I've seen surgeons and the surgeons are on call for a hot week where they've got seven days where they're responsible for everything and halfway through the hot week they're sometimes looking a bit frazzled whereas I know I will for example I did two long days at the weekend and then I get a couple of days off and I think intensive care is ahead of the curve and I remember that I only work up to 40 hours a week but the rest of the week I'm not at work and I can do other things and because I've always worked antisocial hours I do like having my days off during the week and some of my colleagues in anaesthesia say oh you get loads of time off during the week because you're, you're never in I'm like yes because I'm working at night or I'm working at weekends but for me that's a benefit because um, you know I know when I'm working and when I'm working I'm working when I'm not I can do other things. Are you non-resident when you're when you're on call as a consultant? Yes, we are. Yes. So um, we do do 12 hours. So we do do eight to eight and then nights we start at eight, but we come in, have handover, do a night ward round, check that everyone's happy and our team's happy and then on call from home. Of course, if the patients are sick, then we're, we're on site. But yeah. if the patients are sick, there's generally exciting things going on. And that's part of the reason I did intensive care. I suppose as well with the there's been a much bigger push towards opening up less than full time working with for, for trainees for a much easier access. I think now you can apply for less than full time training where you don't have to have a, a solid reason beyond the fact that it's what you want to do. And there's there isn't that barrier, which I think I think is is fantastic from a work life balance totally. point of view. And the College of Emergency Medicine was um, the forefront of leading that mm. because they realised that that's what their trainees wanted. Yeah. Um, and to have the barrier, because when I was a trainee, it was really hard to become less than full time. You know, even having a baby, you still had to write a three page letter about why you wanted to be less than full time or, or be an Olympic athlete in something. And those are pretty much the only two reasons you could go less than full time. Mm. Whereas now um, we, we need to be encouraging it. But I think that's why the world is a better place in 2022 than it was in the past mm. um you know we're talking about these things more we're talking about diversity we're talking about making it better and being kinder to each other we're talking about happier people at work you never talk about making trainees happy when i was you know a house officer and things um whereas now we want happy trainees because we realize that happy trainees are more likely to be healthy and well and more likely to have less 
problems at work, more likely to make less mistakes and more likely to be better doctors. So, yeah, I think I think these improvements are all brilliant and we should encourage them to continue. From what I've seen, from I only managed a small part of my training less than full time at the very end, um, but I've had lots of friends that have done a lot more less than full time training. And I think that these people actually do more things because at their annual ARCP, they're still expected to have done an audit. They're still expected to have done quick QI. They're still expected to have done the same amount of CPD. Um, so I've always said that less than full time, tra time trainees are smarter and harder working because they have to do extra stuff mm. because they're around and we, we, we should be counting things in equivalent times. You know, what's your equivalent year? But we don't. We still do it on calendar years. Um, and I think we just need to open our eyes and have the discussions, don't we? Because you speak to the surgical trainees and they will happily come in on their day off to do an extra operation because they love operating that much and that's what they want to do and they want to you know do this thing and if there's an operation that's happening that they've not done before or there's a chance to actually do it instead of just being an assistant they will give up their free time for that um but as you say we shouldn't expect it and if your job is taking if your job is not fitting to the time it's given then there's something wrong with the job um trainee spa is a brilliant recent advance um, I know it, it's coming as mandatory in anaesthesia and I believe it's coming through in ICM as well. So my unit are giving our ICM trainees um, their SPA time because it has been mad for the part, you know, trainee doctors, they've worked their 48 hours a week clinical work and then they've done all the research, the audit, the publications, the QI, the, you know, everything on top of that. So, yeah, I think it's a good thing and will make everybody better. Mm. Would you mind telling telling us more about the the leadership program that you're that you're undertaking through the subcommittee, the the Wickermill um, program? I'd love to. Um, so we, it was felt that there are not as many women in leadership roles. For example, um, unit leads, clinical directors, associate medical directors, um, and that some women were not drawn to leadership. So the Wickermail project um, was born. So Women in Intensive Care Medicine Emerging Leadership. And we're running it for the second cohort. So the first cohort started in 2019. And it's a two pronged thing. So there's four fellows, and they have committee meetings between themselves where they each take it in turn to chair a meeting. So they've got experience of chairing a meeting at a national level. They attend two of the faculty committee meetings and a board meeting and they can choose out of all the faculty meetings which one they come to so if they've got an interest in examinations they might go to the examinations committee or if they've got an interest in uh, recruitment they might come to the careers workforce and recruitment committee and then they also have a mentor who is a member of the faculty board that they choose and then they do they talk to their mentor about leadership alongside that they do an open university module um, on leadership which is funded by the faculty and um, do you think it is particularly challenging for women within intensive care to take on these leadership roles i don't understand enough and it's on my list of things to read more about is the barriers to women taking on roles sometimes we have people approach us we've had a couple of editors of blogs and journals approach us saying we've put an advert out we've had no women apply so our board is all men you know why are we not getting women and i am aware that women are generally i'm talking a very much generalization but because um women quite often have a mental load or a caring responsibility they're more reluctant to take on nebulous tasks. 
So they're much more likely to take on a task if it said, you know, there will be this number of meetings a year and you will be expected to do this. Whereas if they just say, come and join our board, then they're not sure whether they will fit it in their life. And um, women and men are slightly different. Men are much more of the thinking, oh, well, I'll give that a go. And if I don't like it, I'll give it up. Whereas generally women prefer to do a task and women are less likely to give it up is what we see, you know, kind of like SPA roles and tutor roles. And I don't know if they feel that they can't give it up, but I think it's a bit more of a masculine trait to go, oh, I don't like this, I'm going to stop. Um, and sometimes there's the imposter syndrome, a, a large proportion of the whole population, but particularly seen in females, is the imposter syndrome, oh, I can't do that, I'm not good enough for that. Whereas a man might look at a person's spec and see that they meet four out of five essentials and no desirables and think, oh, I'll give that a go. Whereas a woman might look at the same person's spec and say, oh, I meet all the essentials and only two out of the five desirables, oh, I'm not sure I'll manage it. You know, so I think um, we're, we are wired in different ways but understanding that and trying to make adverts more um, approachable to women and so the only reason I applied to BCD was because I had four colleagues pull me into their offices and say we think you should do this um, and I wouldn't have considered it if they hadn't have tapped me on the shoulder. Why wouldn't you have considered it without their support? I was more involved in education. I did a lot for anaesthetic education and I realised that I couldn't do everything. So I ran the um, anaesthetic final FRCA prep courses in, in my region. And I thought I'd be more going down the educational line and not the managerial line. I'd had no managerial training. I didn't know if I had the skills to be a manager. I knew I was organised, but I didn't know. As I said, my littlest was only 18 months old and I felt that I was the part-time one and I it might not be the right time in my career. But then I thought, well, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Let's give it a go and see how that turns out. With all of that going on, with having young children and sort of saying about time within your career, do you think timing of things within careers becomes more of, a, of an important issue for, for women as opposed to men? Yes, to a, to a greater extent, actually. I was talking to um, Rasheen Hazlett, who's one of the women um, in intensive care committee members, and she's a single specialty intensivist in Salford in Greater Manchester. And she's also high up in the um, deanery, the Health Education Northwest. And she's got four children and she's um, approaching retirement in a couple of years. And she was talking to me about her timeline of life. And when her children were little, she did a lot less. And a lot of her, as she refers to it, more exciting roles came as the children were older. So I think we need to just accept that everyone is different. And, you know, some people will do it younger. Um, the way medicine pushes you through and the finances and the job security, more females have children later. And then, of course, if you've got the care and responsibility, it is hard. It is hard to do things if your baby's waking up in the night. A lot depends on your home circumstance and social structure. Um, you know, I, I'm very lucky with the way my, my house and my life is set up. And um, I do realise that I couldn't do a lot of what I do without lots of support in my life. Um, so, yeah, we should definitely be open to all. And maybe some women won't be able to take on roles until they're slightly more experienced. But we should encourage them to. I think that if you're taking on roles, particularly leadership type roles, and you're doing so later on in your career, well, you're doing so at a point where you've gained a significant amount of, of experience, that's an incredible benefit. And we shouldn't be seeing this as being 
as being a, a, neg a, neg a negative, you know? But I also, I 100% agree with you. And I'd go a little bit further. We should be encouraging those people to to explain their non-medical skills. Mm. Because if, in my opinion, if you successfully manage to parent a child, two children, three children, get them to the right place on time with the right kit and the right equipment, then you are clearly a highly organized, mm. highly driven, highly motivational person. But I'm not sure that any woman would write on an application form, you know, I'm highly driven, motivated and organized because I managed to get my kids to school mm. at the right time. I feel like I need a medal if I get my children to school for five <laughs> days in a week with the right equipment every day. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe it's just me with too much going on in my life. But it, it, I think these things are quite hard and we should celebrate that if someone comes to it later on, then that's great. And they've probably, as you say, got a lot of experience, but maybe not quite in the ways you'd expect, but it's probably still very good experience. Mm. But one other thing is, I do know that sometimes people who don't have um, children and a family for whatever reason feel marginalised because mm. I, I've heard reports of people saying, oh, well, you don't have kids, so you can work Christmas Day. And it, it's it's finding the right balance. And I'm very much about making it fair for everyone. And mm. yes, negotiating with toddlers and getting people to school on time should give me a medal. But also um, the people that don't have children for whatever reason you know choice or not in the right place at the right time or whatever um still have families and mm. still can do organizational things they might just have to think out the box a bit differently to put yeah. it on their application form yeah and i think i guess that's something that we don't we often don't think about because we've we have talked about diversity but i think diversity sometimes is isn't isn't as obvious as somebody's someone's race and someone's gender and you know, or someone's back, someone's background, especially coming into intensive care, it's personal circumstance that that includes the the diversity. And yeah, and I've I've certainly known known of at least one person who would get fairly upset when people did an awful lot of talking about about their children around them, and the reason why was because they were unable to have children, though it was something that they'd that they had um, always wanted. And yeah, and they I think they did feel marginalised because you know, it was, they were often said, well, you wouldn't understand. The whole, for me, equality and women intensive care medicine is about taking the time to think about other people and their experiences. And it's, and for me, I, I love, I'm quite nosy. I love finding out about people and what makes them tick. But, um, you know, until you've walked a mile in someone else's shoes, you don't really know what the experience is like for them, mm. but you can always ask them. Um, so I think, and what I strive to do is make the world a better place by encouraging everybody, building everybody up, finding everybody's strong points. And the world will be a better place if we all listen to each other, are kind and understand each other and accept that um, people will be different. And different is sometimes challenging, mm. but we can together make the world a better place. I sound yeah. very idealistic, but it's where I would like <laughs> the world to be. Would you have any um, advice to somebody looking at looking at their department thinking i want this department to be more inclusive and representative than the most is right now i think we're back to the data collection and mm. asking asking the questions and not being afraid to hear the answers mm. um, because it, it might be uncomfortable and it might be oh well i don't fit in because you're all um you know mammals middle-aged men in lycra to coin a stereotype so you do get a lot of doctors through and i 
going back to the um, medical trainees, the CT twos and threes who spend three months in ICM, they're probably quite a good bunch to ask actually, mm. because trainees, being a trainee is very difficult because if you get asked your opinion as a trainee and you give your true opinion, you can be branded as a troublemaker or opinionated or too gobby or whatever. Um, and if you want a job somewhere, you don't want to rock the boat mm. because they don't want to appoint a troublemaker. So sometimes as a senior trainee, when you've got the experience and the empowerment to see what's different and you've got the, you've seen elsewhere, you can't raise it because you don't want to rock the boat and shoot yourself in the foot. Mm. But I think the medical trainees were probably quite good to ask the question, you know, do you know why, you know, is there anything about this unit we could change? Could we do this? Could we do that? Mm. Um, and yeah, ask the questions and try to take it on the chin as much as possible. One thing I'd like to ask you about is your Strike the Balance meeting. Um, when, is, when, is, when is the next meeting scheduled for? This year's Strike the Balance meeting will be in November and we are aiming to hold it face-to-face -face at the Royal College of Anaesthetists. Great. And I guess when it's closer to the time when it when a, a firm date is set and, and everything, people will be able to will be able to get online and, and book book tickets yes. to be able to attend. Yeah. And this year our Strike the Balance was recorded because it was virtual, but we kept booking open for a week after the meeting went. Mm. And we're really pleased that the Twitter chats during the meeting itself encouraged an extra 20 people to book onto the meeting afterwards to listen to the videos. Um, the Strike the Balance meeting is hosted by the Women in Intensive Care Subcommittee, but one of my personal aims is to increase the diversity at our meeting, because the first face-to-face -face one, I think we had three um, males and about 97 females. And the feedback from the gentlemen in the audience was that it was a really good meeting mm. and they thought it was great. But we were also told from some people is that the um, it was because it was sold as the women in intensive care meeting that men thought they weren't mm. welcome. So hopefully we'll get more diversity at our meeting. And if people want to get involved with the women in intensive care um, subcommittee or any of the work that you, that, you, that you do, is there is there a way that they can? There is. Um, one thing I didn't tell you about in the list of things we do is the Women in Intensive Care wider group. And so we have a wider group list of people and we welcome anyone to women to join our group. But if we want any social media posts, any blog posts, we go out to the wider group. If we've got projects or things ongoing that we need help with, we go out to the wider group when we're looking for speakers. So if anybody is interested in joining our wider group, then you can drop us an email at one of the faculty emails. The easiest email is wickham at fickham.ac.uk. Um, but to be honest, the faculty are such an amazing bunch that you could email anybody at the faculty. And if you put, I'd like to be involved in Wickham, then they would send it through to me or um, one of the committee and we would get it. So email yeah. us any way you like or find us on Twitter and send us a message. Yeah, and, and for those people who want to find you on, on Twitter, what's the, um, what's the Twitter handle? Women ICM is us thank you very much for joining for joining us this afternoon Liz. it's been great to speak to you i really look forward to seeing all of the all of the work that that you and the the wickham subcommittee produce over the next the next next year and and beyond so i think it, it's it sounds like a really exciting amount of work that you're producing well thank you so much for inviting me i've really enjoyed talking to you